recorded at the Vanamali Gita Yogashram Rishikesh North India situated on the banks of the holy river Ganga at the foothills of the Himalayas this is the 18th talk in the series and is on the 17th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita it is entitled Shraddha Traya Vibhaga Yoga or the yoga of the three types of faith. Om Shri Krishnaya Paramatmane Namaha Om Shri Patsasarate Namaha ಸತ್ತಶೋಧ್ಯಾಷ್ಟ್ರವಿಧಿಮುತ್ಸೃಜ್ಯಾಜಂತೆಷ್ಟಾಶ್ರೀಭಗವಾಚ ತ್ರಿವಿಧಿಶ್ರದ್ಧಾಸ್ವಭಾವಜ ಸಾತ್ವಿಗೀರಾಜಸಿಚೈವಾಮಸಿಚೇತಿಶ್ರದ್ಧಾಮಯೋಯಂಪುರುಷೋಯೋಯಶ್ರದ್ಧಸ ಪ್ರೇತಾನ್ಭೂತಗಣಾಂಶಾನ್ಯೇಯಂತೆತಾಮಸಾಜನಾಶಾಸ್ತ್ರವಿಹಿತಂಘೋರಂತಪ್
wearing the garland of wild flowers vanamala and wielding the conch and discus to him who is the preceptor of the universe i offer my obeisance the 17th chapter begins with a doubt in the mind of arjuna what is the basis of an act which departs from the animal desire as well as from scriptural injunctions even the rule of desire has a certain necessity since it is founded on our animal and primitive origins which we cannot deny the shastra has behind it the authority of long established rule but what about that action which is done on the spur of the moment yet with full faith and belief that we are doing the right thing we may not always be able to consult the bhagavad gita or the laws of manu before performing some action but we all have a faith or strong belief that this is the absolutely right thing which we have to do what about those actions on what basis do they stand is arjuna's question action according to personal desire belongs to the lower stages of life and is dominated by the guna rajas action according to the shastras allows the growth of the sattvic element so mankind must first proceed through this but sometimes there is a freer tendency in man which tends to break away from the established mode of conduct and goes in search of a new law which he considers to be more right this happens when the established shastra ceases to be a living thing and stiffens into a mass of dead customs and superstitions then we find that a newer truth and a newer law has to be found by some great individual or vibhuti of the lord like buddha who modified the vedic ritualism and christ 
who replaced the ancient law of Moses. Humanity's search for perfection never stops. Sometimes an individual may revolt against the Shastra, and this revolt may often be the Rajasic ego seeking recognition and adulation. But even this is better than the dead tamasic following of a convention just because it has been followed by all those who have gone before and without any right knowledge of the great principles underlying the convention. Sometimes the Shastra is a living, vibrating force, in which case it is the best rule for the average man. But the exceptional man who has spiritually developed far beyond the rest of his brethren is not bound by that standard. He is called to go beyond to an absolute perfection and learn to live in the liberty of the spirit. But this is very often a weary and insecure path. And unless one is absolutely sure, it would be better not to deflect from the normal route for the dangers of losing our direction are great indeed. Hence the necessity for all spiritual seekers to have some guide or preferably a guru who having traversed the path himself is competent to guide the newcomer. But what happens when such a guide is not available. Slowly and perhaps unconsciously, he has formulated a greater rule which he tries to live up to. The religion he follows, the philosophy he believes in, the social ideology which he tries to enforce is according to the relative or absolute perfection of which he has some idea. And in proportion to his sincerity in living according to this ideal, he can become an example of his ideal and thus evolve. What is the basis of such a man's action. The Lord says that the basis is to be found in his Shraddha or faith. What he thinks to be the truth of his life and existence. If he is tamasic, he will reach nothing which is true. If he is rajasic, he may be carried away into strange paths. In both cases, his chance of salvation lies in a return to sattva, 
which will impose a restraint on his rajasic ego as well as on his tamasic ignorance. Thus, even this faith or shraddha is of three kinds. There is the subhuman level of faith, there is the human level and a superhuman level. So the faith on the basis of which we have to act is not merely a whim of the moment, but a judgment which springs from the very depths of our personality. Like all things in nature, our faith too is colored by the threefold strands of pragrati called sattva, rajas, and tamas. The faith of each man takes on the quality of his temperament. As his faith, so he is, says the Lord. This sounds very much like the modern theory of pragmatism. If a man consists of the faith which is in him, then it follows that the truth which he follows is the truth which has shaped him and therefore there is no other truth for him. He is what he is today by the power of his past will or faith which in turn creates his future. Thus we are ever creating ourselves. We are our own makers. To some extent this is true but it is not the whole truth. This is only the truth of our becoming, the truth of our dynamics. Beyond our changing personality, there is a universal being as well as a universal becoming of which ours is only a movement or a ripple. And even beyond that is the eternal and changeless being. Through the yoga of the Gita, we are trying to become divine as He is divine. Our success in this endeavor also depends on our Shraddha. We have to make a conscious effort of will to change our natures and existing shraddhas which may be tamasic or rajasic and make it sattvic and finally go beyond the sattvic as well. Tamas is considered the lowest level and sattva the highest. The reason for this is due to the degree of reality which is expressed through their media. In Tamas, reality is hardly expressed. In Rajas, it is distorted. And in Sattva, there is clarity. The sun's rays can be reflected in dark pitch 
in turbid water and in crystal clear water. In sattva, though there may not be a direct contact with reality, yet there is a perfect reflection of it. In rajas, the reflection is distorted as in the murky water and in tamas it is hardly seen as in a barrel full of liquid tar. Depending on the type of guna which is predominant in us, our faith in all things differ. In our personal conduct, our political life, our social relationships, our religious practices, and even our choice of food. Sattvic men worship the God. Rajasic types worship the demigods in order to attain some object of desire. And the tamasic men worship ghosts and spirits. There are some who undertake severe penances against scriptural injunctions, torturing the body in order to achieve certain selfish or even devilish ends. These penances, though they may make the person appear to be a great saint, yet they are prompted by hypocrisy arrogance and desire for power and thus they should be considered as demonic. Even torturing the body by prolonged fasting or by self-inflicted corporal punishment comes under this type of tapas. The Lord then proceeds to tell us what exactly is meant by the tabas of the body. The body is a vehicle for the progress of the jivatma in its journey to perfection and should be treated with the respect it deserves. It should neither be pampered nor punished unjustly. has been prescribed in order to remove the distortions that may arise in the body due to wrong eating and wrong living. As a machine needs fuel, so a body needs food, and the type of food it eats is of the utmost importance, for in that depends the type of thoughts which arise in the mind. Indian thought has long realized the importance of diet in a spiritual life. Many experiments have been done on these lines from ancient times. The result of these experiments is the sattvic diet which is insisted on 
for all followers of yoga. There is no country in the world in which the major portion of the population gave up meat-eating in order to purify their minds and gain spiritual heights. Today, many people give up meat-eating in the West for health reasons. But in India, it was given up purely for moral reasons because it was felt strongly that the taking of life in any form was a sin and must be minimized to the greatest possible extent. This was so not because they were unaware of the benefit of a vegetarian diet as far as health was concerned, but this was not their main concern. The health of the body, though important, was given a subsidiary place to the health of the mind and the progress of evolution. Even today, neither Western medical science nor psychology has fully realized the importance of food and the effect it has on the health of both mind and body. 5,000 years ago, the Lord enumerated these properties to Arjuna. The sattvic temperament instinctively prefers foods that nourish the mental, vital, and physical forces, which are bland and naturally sweet, and which increase longevity, intelligence, strength, health, and happiness. This means fresh foods which are not overcooked or overspiced. In fact, the perfect natural diet, which is becoming increasingly popular in the modern world. Rajasic people prefer foods which are sour, pungent, hot, and burning, giving rise to pain, grief, and disease. This is the overspiced, over-rich foods which even the doctors now admit lead us to all the ills of modern society, heartburn, heart attacks, indigestion, dyspepsia, constipation, etc. The list is too well known to need enumeration. Foods which are devoid of vitality, overcooked, stale, polluted, and impure are dear to men of a satamasic nature. For perfect health, food should always be eaten 
as fresh as possible, both after plucking and after cooking. The more they are kept, the more they lose their vital quality and the less likely they are to produce vitality in us. This is a very obvious statement which is completely overlooked by the modern man in his addiction to tinned, canned and refrigerated foods which have become a part of modern life. But whether they are absolutely necessary is left for each individual to decide for himself. To some extent, we may not be able to help our innate tastes, but having known and accepted the truth, it is left for each of us to decide what is best for us, whether we are capable of making the effort which itself is a covers of changing our dietary style. The Lord in this chapter divides into three the kartavyam karma or the actions which are a must on all human beings. These are yetnya, dana and tabas. Sacrifice, charity and austerity. These three cover the entire field of our relationships. Our relationship with the Supreme, our relationship with the society, and our relationship with our own body and mind. We owe duties to each of these three, and thus these three actions have been termed as kartavyam karma or indispensable actions. They have to be performed. No man can consider himself to be above them. The categorization of foods come under both yetnya and tabas. The food which is eaten should first of all be offered to the deity within as a yetna to the Lord manifest within the body who has not only provided the food for us but who alone is capable of digesting and assimilating it so that it benefits us. This is a daily yetna which every mortal can perform and has to perform. This yetnya can also be made into a tabas if the food is eaten sparingly and a sattvic diet is adhered to, for then it becomes an austerity or control of the body and senses which clamor for exciting foods rather than enlivening fare.
things are needed to make any yetnya satri. The Lord has already said that all actions can be considered as a yetnya or offering to the Supreme. So all actions can be made satri by two things. One is to avoid fruitless actions and the other is to give up the desire for fruits. When action or yetnya is done with a keen desire for fruits, with hypocrisy, it can be considered a regency. When yetnya is done without due observance of the rules by which it has to be done, it will become a fruitless task and thus it is tamasic. Even when the yetnya or puja is offered to the gods, if it is done with pride and hypocrisy, in order to make a show of one's wealth for personal gain and aggrandizement, it must be considered rajasi. The tamasic offering to the gods is done without much faith, just because everyone else does it. It is done with neither concentration nor belief in what one is doing and naturally it will not produce any beneficial results. The sattvic yatnya is offered to God with full belief in what is being done and full belief in the divinity to whom it is being offered without any desire for personal gain. The more impersonal the motive, the more sattvic the act. The sattvic yetnya, though it comes very near to the ideal, is not yet the ideal. Though it is very necessary for our progress to perfection, since it purifies our mind and will. The culmination of the sacrifice is when every action is a yetnya and is offered to the Supreme Purushottama for the fulfillment of the divine will. For then there is neither self nor selflessness for the jiva is united with the paramatma. Such actions cannot even be termed as actions unless we say that the master of the yetnya is offering the works of his energy through the jiva to himself, the purushottama. Having dealt with yetnya, or our contract with the Divine, the Lord goes on to describe 
our duties to society and to our body, constituting dana or charity and tapas or austerity. Three types of sattvic tapas are mentioned. First is the physical worship and reverence for the deserving, cleanliness of the body, straightforwardness, sexual purity, and non-violence of thought, word, and deed. Next is the tabas or austerity of the mind, which includes a study of the scriptures, a sweet, beneficial speech, which causes no harm or pain in the mind of its listener. Even a harsh truth can be clothed in pleasant terms, and this will make it more palatable. Tavas of the mind purifies the whole temperament and produces serenity, calmness, and self-control, and a feeling of love to all. Rajasic tabas, on the other hand, is done to get honor and distinction from others with a view to impressing them. Its fruits are fleeting and bring no lasting benefits to anyone. Tamasic tabas is done with torture of the mind and body and with a desire to cause injury to others. Sadistic actions may be called tamasic. The Lord now takes up the different types of dana or charity which is part of our duty to the society. The tamasic gift is offered with no regard to the right place, the right time, or the need of the recipient. It is offered insolently in an insulting manner. It shows no regard for the feelings of the recipient and is despised by him even while accepting it. Brides are a classic example of the tamasic gift. The bribe is given to one we despise for a low motive, and even as we give it, we despise ourselves and the one who receives it. Coins thrown to beggars, gifts offered rudely with no love or respect for the recipient, are all examples of tamasic gifts. The sattvic way of giving is to give with good reason and sympathy in the right conditions of time and place and to one to whom the gift will be truly helpful. It is given for the sake of giving without view to the benefit already received or to be received. 
In fact, the sattvic dana is also a yetnya or a consecration to the Lord within the recipient. All this universe comes into being and is sustained by the Supreme Lord's giving of Himself in a continuous flow of love to mankind. The action of the perfected man will also be such an outpouring of knowledge, love and joy to those around him. The original question of Arjuna as to the stand of those who worship with faith but without scriptural sanction has been elaborately dealt with by the Lord. He has shown how every type of action can be considered as worship if done in the sattvic way. He has also shown how even those so-called acts of worship like yetnya, dana and tapas can be unsattvic and lead to no spiritual benefit if done in a rajasic and tamasic way. The chapter ends with the mantra or formula Om Tat Sat, which is a triple definition of the Supreme Brahman. The mantra signifies the total comprehensiveness of the nature of Brahman in both its forms of transcendence and immanence. We can refer to him as Tad or the super transcendent reality. We can also refer to him as Sat, which is the universal principle of existence within us and within the whole of all existences. These two words point to the fact that God is both outside us and inside us, far as well as near. This idea is to be transcended in a larger grasp of the Absolute. Om is a symbol of the Triple Brahman to the three states of consciousness and is also the initiating syllable pronounced at the outset of all acts of Yetnya, Dana and Tapas. These three words, when uttered, signifies a grasp of the entire reality, which is God, both within, without, and everywhere. It should be pronounced at the outset of every action in order to remind us that our work should be made an expression of the Divine and dedicated to Him, done for Him and motivated by Him. If this is our faith, then it will have the power to create for us 
the world of reality, which is God. The divine is all. It is the absolute reality. And this invocation within our mind at the beginning and conclusion of any yetnya or dana or tapas completes it and imbues it with reality. When this mantra or mental attunement is not there, the action itself becomes devoid of reality. God completes everything. Anything done without his divine remembrance has no reality and is thus incomplete. Thus, he, the Most High, the Supreme Purusha, has to be invoked always. To return to the original question, if this is the Shraddha or faith, which dominates our lives, then every action will be divinized and provide us with another foothold to reach Him, the Supreme Purushottama. Hari Om Tad Sai. Om Asadoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityorma Mritam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 From the unreal, lead me to the real, from darkness to light, and from death to immortality. Yeah. 